Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam episode 199, Gregory the 11th. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Today's Pope was French, and as I teased last week, he is the last French Pope ever, at least at the time of this recording. He was born Pierre Roger, a French noble, and more importantly, the nephew of another Pierre Roger, who, when he was a young boy, was a bishop and advisor to the King of France, and who later became Pope Clement VI. When today's Pierre was just 11 years old, his uncle appointed him to be a canon in Paris, and in May of 1348, when he was 18, he was made the Cardinal Deacon of Santa Maria Nuova. Now, his uncle, the Pope, sent him to Italy, specifically to the town of Perugia, to study law. Imagine a college course, and one of your students was already a cardinal. That's what we have here with Pierre. As cardinal, he did a lot of cardinal things at the time. He helped advise, he served in diplomatic functions, he traveled with Blessed Urban V on his trip to Rome. And when Blessed Urban V died on December 20th, 1370, on December 29th, the cardinals met unanimously and chose Cardinal Pierre to be Pope. It's very possible that Charles of Anjou, the brother of the King of France at the time, had a hand in making sure that Cardinal Pierre was elected, but we're not 100% sure on that. Since the Cardinal was just a deacon, he needed to be ordained a priest and then a bishop, and then was finally installed as Pope on January 3rd, 1371. He took the name Gregory Eleventh. One of his first moves was to appoint as cardinals many of his family members and cousins, continuing the practice that his own uncle had taken in his papacy. Now, if you remember from the last episode, Urban V did not mean to come back to Avignon, but diplomatic necessity drew him there. So it was always part of the plan that the Pope would return to Rome, though Pope Gregory delayed this many times. He told King Edward III of England that he always felt, he always had a heartfelt desire, which constantly remains with us, to visit the holy city, the chief seat of our authority, and there in the surrounding countryside to set up our dwelling and that of our apostolic court. Now, on top of that, he was beginning to receive letters from certain notable Italians asking him to return to Rome. St. Bridget of Sweden, who, if you remember, prophesied the death of Pope Urban, wrote to Pope Gregory that Mary herself had said to her, If Pope Gregory will come to Rome and will return to Italy to stay there, and like a good shepherd will take upon himself the cause of the church, then like a good mother I will give him joyful warmth at my breast, which is the love of God. Now, he had no money in the treasury. Much of the free spending of the previous pontificates had emptied the papal coffers. And the political situation in Italy prevented an immediate return, and more on that later. But Gregory was likewise caught up with negotiations to try and bring a peace between France and England in the ongoing Hundred Years' War. Now, in past episodes, we have talked about the animosity between the Visconti family in Milan and the Holy See, specifically Bernabo Visconti, who took Bologna from the Papal States and wouldn't give it back until he was forced to do so. The Visconti were a big reason why Urban V delayed his return to Italy. And now, this was stirring up trouble again. Bernabo had taken possession of several territories north of Rome, which traditionally belonged to the Papal States and would not give them back. So Pope Gregory declared war on him. Bernabo employed an English mercenary and adventurer named John Hawkwood, who came to Italy in the 1370s with a group of mercenaries and sold his services to the highest bidder. They defeated the Papal forces in 1372 at the Battle of Rubiera, but eventually the tide turned when the Pope convinced the King of Hungary and the Queen of Naples to enter the conflict on his side. A tenuous peace was concluded in 1373, which gave the Pope the opening he needed to head back to Rome. 
Pope Gregory announced to the various heads of state in Europe his intention to return with a vague notion of leaving in the fall of 1374. But there were delays. He would ask for ships and then send them back. He would be about to go, and then France and England would have to negotiate some more with the hope of ending the Hundred Years' War, and so he'd have to stay. And those negotiations dragged on, and the delay seemed interminable. A lot of people have read into this a weakness on Gregory's part and a need for encouragement and boldness they didn't have. He was perhaps too cowardly to return. But the reasons for the delay could very easily be read as totally legitimate. But others didn't see that as the case, and they acted. The most prominent was a young third-order Dominican, Caterina di Jacopo di Bencaza, or as we know her today, St. Catherine of Siena. St. Catherine was a known mystic whose prayers were incredibly powerful and sought after, and who had visions of Jesus and God the Father. St. Catherine wrote to Pope Gregory for the first time in 1375, addressing him as, Most reverend and beloved Father in Christ Jesus. And in later correspondence, she started calling him by the pet name Babo. In her letters, she begs, encourages, and at times reproves the Holy Father, convincing him that he has to come back to Rome. Press on, she writes, and fulfill with true zeal and holiness what you have begun with a holy resolve concerning your return. St. Catherine traveled to Avignon herself in 1373 to try and convince the Holy Father to return in person, but her activities only added to what was already the resolution of the Holy Father from the beginning. But others took action when the Holy Father delayed, and not with such holy intention as St. Catherine. The city government of Florence had been nervous about the Holy Father's return to Italy for a while now, since it would mean giving up a lot of their independence that they had achieved since the popes had departed decades before. This anxiety and restlessness was compounded by the failure of the French cardinals that Gregory had appointed to govern papal territory. They were administrative disasters, they made one unforced error after another, and they gave ample ammunition to the Florentines and others to use in stirring up rebellion against the pope in papal lands. In July of 1375, the Florentines initiated an alliance with Bernardo Visconti in Milan and sent representatives to the territory in the Papal States, which had most recently submitted to direct papal rule in the last decade. A rebellion commenced and war followed. The Florentines placed the government of the war under the direction of a committee of eight officials, and so this war has been come to, came to be called the War of the Eight Saints. Now, the Pope was, of course, furious, and he excommunicated the Florentine leaders and placed the entire city under interdict, which meant they would receive no sacraments except in danger of death. The papal forces were led by Cardinal Robert of Geneva, but consisted not only of French troops, but also John Hawkwood's mercenary forces, who were being paid this time by the Pope and not by the Florentines. Hawkwood had made a deal with the Florentines earlier not to fight against them, but he was utilized in putting down rebellions in the papal states. The most infamous battle of the entire war occurred at Cesena on the Adriatic coast in 1377. Cardinal Robert arrived outside the town with Hawkwood's men and after gaining entrance allowed the massacre of 3,000 to 8,000 civilians, which even by the rules of war at the time was barbaric and appalling. And apparently Cardinal Robert himself was reported to have shouted out, blood, blood, to which his troops responded, strike, strike, kill, kill. Now around the same time, John Hawkwood changed sides. Again, he married around 1377 the illegitimate daughter of Bernardo Visconti, and he gained prestige and power in Milan. But some gains, however, were made by the papal forces. They reconquered Bologna, and they made progress elsewhere. And these efforts were helped by the fact that finally in 1377, the pope made it to Rome. He departed with the papal court in September of 1376, and he took 17 weeks to arrive in Rome. Several ships in his fleet were shipwrecked, and it wasn't until January 
that the Pope arrived in Rome with a large number of soldiers by his side, which was against the advice of St. Catherine of Siena, but it was wartime after all. With the success, albeit enabled by the bloodshed of Robert of Geneva and John Hawkwood of the papal military forces, a conference was underway to help settle the causes of the War of the Eight Saints. But Pope Gregory would not leave, live to see the resolution. The trip to Rome was just too much for him. He died on March 27, 1378 in Rome. He was buried at the Church of Santa Maria Nuova in the Forum. And it's at this point in the podcast that I usually say who succeeded him, but a simple reference to Urban VI is not enough here. Because the conclave that followed the death of Pope Gregory XI is one of the most controversial in history. And though Pope Urban VI is the next pope we're going to talk about, not everyone in Europe or even in the church agreed on that. But with that ominous note sounded, we will leave the rest for next week. Thanks for listening to Habemus Popham. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.